0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. He just formed a fucking wall. O'Neal deep in the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What a jump ball! He's down for 12 12-8, 7-38 to play in the first half. Oh, yeah. First from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Countdown, baby, and a foul! Reggie inside for Andre, and a dynamite dunk! Welcome to episode number 35 of the Palace of Pistons podcast. You got the entire crew back together this week. Brendan Johnson here with Aaron Johnson and Ryan Pay. And before we get going, boys, last week there was some criticism thrown my way for having to take a, what was it, TV production gig, miss the pod, and uh, I did respond on Twitter um, Aaron said that he had maybe some heavy remarks for me to respond with. Haven't heard those, uh, but it is good to be back. And guess what? We're all together. It's the regular season. The Pistons are 1-0. And uh, statistically, they're the best team in the NBA, Aaron.
0: Yeah, and if I could just – I'll give those remarks now. I was going to do it over Twitter in a video of my own, but I was like, why waste the time with someone as frivolous as Brendan Johnson? Jesus! Um, so – my my thing is, you called yourself the Blake Griffin of the podcast, and I just thought that was absolutely insane. Uh, I'm not I'm not gonna waste the listeners' time describing why you are more likely the uh, let's say Kyrie Thomas, usually inactive of the podcast. Um, but just know that more you are trending. You, you're
1: Aaron on this pod.
0: Though. You are That's trending farther towards the back end of the bench. Rather than the top of the line, so just keep your keep that ego of yours in check, there, big fella.
1: How many DNP's does Aaron have again? Because honestly, they're like starting to rack up. They're like unpaid parking tickets. You know, they're oh just my. a big stack. Oh you want to do this?
0: <laughs> Are you kidding me? I've been on this podcast since its creation, Young Blood. Young
1: Blood. Young Blood,
2: the youngest guy on this pod by years, calling people Young Blood.
1: Yeah, hey. Hey, hey, Ryan, yo, young blood. You want to go get a drink after the pot here? Sorry, Aaron, you can't join us because that's kind of unfortunate.
0: Hey, all I'm (laughs) saying. So anyways,
1: we need to get into actual Pistons talk here. We're a locker room. We got to have good chemistry in the locker room, right? And the Pistons, well, seems like. That's not, not bad so far. One for one, they picked up a 103 to 100 victory over the Brooklyn Nets on opening night. And they did it with several inactives, right? No John Luer, coach's decision. No Henry Ellison, coach's decision. That was a Red good coach's decision. Yeah, see, Dwayne Casey was coach of the year for a reason. Uh, <laughs> Reggie Bullock did not play due to illness, Stanley Johnson did not play due to a toe injury. Uh, and then Jose Calderon also on a coach's decision. So, so far, Dwayne Casey, some prominent coach's decisions in terms of the DNPs. But maybe a little more importantly, guys, and Ryan, I'll start with you. No Reggie Bullock, no Stanley Johnson. A potential starting group at that 2-3 spot for the Pistons. Um, they were inactive, and the team still got the win. It was good to see that they could, uh,
2: without those two, carry through, win the game, Um then again, it was just Brooklyn. Sorry, no offense to Brooklyn, but I don't think Brooklyn's very good. Lavert showed out. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie had a good game. But at the end of the day, Brooklyn's not the best team. But it was good to see yeah. that they could carry through without
1: two of their starters. So I'm not mad at it. Absolutely. Aaron, just initially give us some thoughts. The Pistons, 1-0. and um. after that opening win versus the Nets on Wednesday night. Uh, talk about your thoughts on the game. And the first thing I want to get into, guys, is just is there any player that, that stood out to you? Who was the most important, maybe who was the best player, who impressed you the most uh, in, in that opening night victory?
0: It was clear right off the bat that the best player on the court was Blake Griffin. And that is how the game ended, with Blake Griffin being the best player. Blake Griffin being on the floor won the Pistons that game. He was that good. Twenty-six points, six assists. I think he had eight re- or twenty-six points, eight rebounds, six assists. The guy was doing it all. Eight of seventeen from the floor. That's forty-seven percent. Got to the free throw line eleven times. When's the last time Detroit's had a guy that can get to the line eleven times in a ball game? Besides Andre Drummond when he's getting intentionally fouled. He made his only three-point attempt. Only had one turnover. That's a really that's a key stat for Griffin, who's going to be handling the ball and initiating the offense a lot this year. That's a key stat that I looked at. Just an all-around fantastic game for him in 34 minutes. Clearly the best player on the court. He was the engine to the offense when he was on the court. Had some defensive shortcomings. He's really pretty god awful at closing out. That's something that I've noticed a lot uh, through the preseason and then obviously Game One of the regular season. But just a fantastic game from him. He he was the To say he was a difference maker would honestly be an understatement.
1: You know, interesting note you bring up there, Aaron. Blake Griffin shooting 11 free throws. He made nine of them. The team took 22. 22. Blake Griffin got half of those free throw attempts that the Pistons took. The Pistons went 19 for 22. It's good for 86% from the free throw line as well. It was a really positive thing to see. And I think that Blake Griffin did assert himself as the best player on the floor. And is that a guy that you go with, Ryan, that maybe most impressed you? Or is there somebody else, maybe a little bit in the woodwork there, uh, that gave some good minutes that you were impressed by?
2: Like Aaron said, the obvious choice is Blake Griffin for being the best player, the one who stood out the most. But another player who I thought stood out was Reggie Jackson. I thought Reggie had a really good game. Um, there were spots where I thought it was a little tough, mm-hmm. definitely. well um, Reggie, a little of my concerns, um, definitely at the end of the game when he pretty much ran out the shot, uh, shot clock when Blake was trying to get the play going with about 10 left and Reggie just kind of let it go down to about half a second before he even looked at the basket. But in general, Reggie had a good game. He was driving. He was aggressive. His shot was falling a little bit. Um, He still needs to build a little bit more, get back into the game flow. But definitely someone I was relatively impressed with, and I was happy to see he, he was really
1: getting it going for the team. Yeah, no doubt about that. So the thing that you brought up, Ryan, and Aaron, I'll let you comment on this as well, was that that fourth quarter Reggie, right, and the guy that can be good all game, But then in the fourth quarter, um, his decision-making ability, you could say, significantly diminishes. And um, a guy that's been able to get to the rim. He had a nice game. I mean, you look at Reggie Jackson's stat line, he shot 7-20. 2 of 9 from 3, which isn't great. Um, But 3 for 3 from the free throw line, dished out 4 assists. Um, You know, only had 2 turnovers. He had a plus-minus, a plus-3. So a relatively good day for Reggie Jackson and the guy hasn't played, right? He's been hurt all off season. He hasn't been, you know, playing in summer games, scrimmages, things of that nature. So for a guy that's been active for such minimal time, for him to be back and playing on opening nights, not something that I don't think I expected. I don't know if any of us fully expected, um, but he started, he played well. He put, he produced a pretty good game in 35 minutes played, but the fourth quarter decision making, and Aaron, I'll shift to you. That is uh, that's tough, and it's it's kind of that typical Reggie Jackson.
0: God, I could talk about Jackson for ten to fifteen minutes if I really wanted to, because his performance is so vital to the Pistons this season. And the first thing I'll talk about is what you had alluded to, how he had not been playing this offseason, and you know he he's he's behind the eight ball compared to where everyone else is at, you know, in terms of practice reps, training camp reps, minutes and preseason reps. Like, he's behind the eight ball with everyone else. And for him to come in in game one of the season and log 35 minutes, when last season, you know, there was talk, oh, he's a guy that can probably max out at 28, and all of a sudden, game one of the regular season, after barely being on the court in the offseason, coming in and playing 35 minutes and performing the way that he did, that's that's crucial, and it's, it's in, it is it's it is encouraging. Yes, the fourth quarter was terrible for Jackson. You talked about the play where he dribbled out the shot clock. There was also the inbounds play where Jackson was the inbounder. Langston Galloway comes curling off a screen to the near corner where he was open right next to Jackson just to give a quick pass, and Galloway, the best shooter on the floor, could have hit, took that three-point attempt. Instead, it ends with just trying to avoid a five-second inbound violation, and Andre Drummond taking a top of the key three-pointer. You, We all know who we wanted taking that shot, and that was on Jackson not reading the, the play, not reading where his offense was moving, and not making the right pass. Um, so he did not have a great fourth quarter. And it's funny because I tweeted in the third quarter uh, about how I don't want Reggie Jackson's very good play to go underrated and not talked about from today. And then, you know, the fourth quarter happens and all of a sudden my Twitter's blown up. Oh, you obviously didn't watch the game. Reggie was playing terrible. And it's like, okay, guys, sorry I tweeted it a little prematurely. But overall, Jackson played pretty well. Um, And I think that with even with his poor shooting stats, you know, his stats don't really jump off the table. The 19 points is nice. You'd like him to have a few more assists and four assists, but when you have Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond initiating the offense as well, his numbers might regress there a little bit. What I'm looking for is, is he orchestrating the offense? Is he being a conducive part of the offense? And he was in game one. He, he's, he was a threat. You know, he was running the offense, only turned the ball over twice. For a guy that plays 35 minutes and is a point guard, that's very good. So he was fitting into the system that was in place, and it appears that, there's a bit of a camaraderie and understanding between him and Dwayne Casey about how that offense is going to run. And besides those mishaps in the fourth quarter, Jackson played very well, and that is a very good sign for the Pistons.
1: You know what Aaron did there, Ryan, during that little little conversation. What's that? You know, we got the rundown in front of us. Everybody's got a format. We're looking at the topics that we want to hit on on the podcast, you know, because we try to do good podcasts. We try to, you know, we've all got radio experience. We're trying to give the best product possible. And Aaron mentions a little Andre Drummond three-pointer. He just wants to push his agenda and talk about Andre Drummond hitting that three. (laughs) In the background, Aaron's yelling, Lee Clip, Lee Clip. Um, So, uh, we heard it, Aaron. Don't worry. We acknowledged we will talk about the Andre Drummond three-pointer because I know that all the Pistons fans are sitting there thinking, when are they going to talk about the Andre three? When are they talking about the Andre three? It's coming. But first, Ryan, I wanted to I'll go back to you. I just wanted to put that out there to corral the listeners, let them know we will talk that Andre three. But Aaron makes some good points about Reggie Jackson. The shooting numbers do not jump off the charts at you. Uh, but when he get 19 points – only turns the ball over twice in 35 minutes. Some fourth quarter miscues. That's that's Reggie Jackson. We know that's what we're going to get out of Reggie Jackson. It's, but,
0: but I don't want you to phrase it like that because a couple years true. ago, a couple years ago when he was healthy, he was the one of the best fourth quarter players in the league. You're not going to say based off last season when he was obviously not at his best and one game into this season that Reggie Jackson is just going to fuck up really the entire fourth quarter. Let, let's phrase it in a better way than that. Because he's a better player than that.
1: Wow. I think we need to go do some like editing after this podcast. Like dang, man. I, mean, I tried to
0: avoid, avoid earth, it. But, but I like, tried to avoid it, but you're saying Reggie Jackson is just a bad player in the fourth quarter. Look, I gotta I gotta go out there and I gotta I gotta put an end to that. He's not a I'm, bad player in the fourth quarter.
2: Here, here's my thing, Aaron. Reggie wants to be Mr. Fourth Quarter. Um But that's not necessarily going to be his role anymore with Blake here. And we saw that at the end of this game. And that worries me a little bit that this can cost them some games. The offense needs to go through Blake late, whether it's Blake scoring or dishing out to whoever. But Reggie wants to be Mr. Fourth Quarter. He wants to be the guy. And you saw that late in the game. He kept dribbling out shot clocks, looking for his own shot, not even looking to set anything up. And that's an issue. And I think that could cost this team some games.
0: So the thing is with Reggie Jackson is, and I think we're, we're all talking about that same play in the fourth quarter where Jackson dribbled out the shot clock and Blake Griffin was calling to set up the play. But late in the game, it, it wasn't all on Reggie Jackson because there were multiple possessions where Detroit had no idea what set they were running. You know, you had Ishmith on one side of the court when he needed to be on the opposite corner. Let me
2: stop you right there. Isn't that on the point guard, though?
0: I think is it has... Them, I think to it's on... Them set?
2: Is it not on the point guard
0: to get them set? It's on Jackson and it's on Dwayne Casey because there was confusion from literally everyone on what play was supposed to be being ran. And that's got to be... It is definitely on Jackson. But Dwayne Casey's also, also got to communicate that as well because... When Jackson has the ball and he's being pressured, he can't be telling Ishmith where he's supposed to go or where Langston Galloway's supposed to go, which is another thing we got to talk about because Ishmith and Langston Galloway on the floor with Reggie Jackson was something that I just wasn't expecting in game one of the regular season, but nonetheless, that's where we were. Um, But look, I'm not saying Jackson doesn't deserve any blame because I highlighted times where he just made terrible decisions, but he can play in the fourth quarter. And maybe that's not going to be his role as much as it was a few seasons ago. But I'm just saying, let's not let's not take the pitchforks out after one game.
2: I'm not here to take the pitchforks out, uh, my friend. I'm just saying the offense is going to be running through Blake at all times pretty much. That's just, especially... As late.
0: it should, as it should.
2: And, and Reggie wants to be Mr. Fourth Quarter. And we saw that. Few times in this game, and don't get me wrong, Dwayne Casey is to blame for them being out of position too. But they are professionals; they should know what their sets are late in the game. These aren't seventh-grade basketball players who, coach, what do we need to call? What do we need to call? These are grown-ass men, professional basketball players, and Reggie needs to take control of the team. He's the point guard, dude. Come on, set something up. You, he, I get Dwayne Casey is responsible too, but Reggie has to take control of the game if he's the point guard. Am I wrong? Am I crazy?
0: you're not. You're not. I'm just, I'm not of the belief that it was just on Jackson.
2: No, I I agree with you there, but at the same time, most of the, not, it's not
1: the vast majority, but the majority of the blame has to go on Jackson. Well, I think you guys bring up some really good points. You know, Reggie Jackson, point guard, leader on the floor that's kind of the responsibility you take with being in that position at the same time, Dwayne Casey, he's the boss. He's the, the general on the sideline. So, um, you know, you both kind of have a valid point there to where th- th- there's gotta be that connection. And I think that's something that Reggie and Dwayne Casey, they've talked about that relationship they built in the offseason. That's something you'll continue to see improve. But guys, I want to talk about something different here. Um, You know, every time there's a new coach that comes into a team, there's typically a guy that maybe was in a good position with the old coach that maybe falls out of favor. And traditionally, there's a guy that we're like, who the hell is he? And he's become, you know, a coach's favorite. Langston Galloway seems to be that guy for the Pistons. Um, A a guy that he played 33 minutes uh, on opening night versus Brooklyn, um, no, that definitely was assisted by the fact that there was no Reggie Bullock, uh, there was no Stanley Johnson. But Langston Galloway was featured a lot in the preseason in 33 minutes. You know, Glenn Robinson the third only played 20 minutes. Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard all played 19 minutes. 33 for Langston Galloway. To me, that was kind of a statement that he's going to be a little bit more of a feature in the Pistons' rotation. Aaron, six points, uh, what three rebounds? He had an assist a plus five in the uh, the plus, or excuse me, a minus, minus five. five. So that's yeah. kind of tough in the plus minus. But either way, Langston Galloway getting some minutes and a guy that Dwayne Casey seems to be a fan of.
0: Yeah, this is, and we've talked about it, but this is very shocking that of all players, it's Langston Galloway that has uh, earned this much trust from Dwayne Casey. <laughs> But I can't say that I'm not a fan of it because I think Langston Galloway is a valuable player. His quick trigger is valuable. His ability to play one, two, and I guess now the three in a Dwayne Casey system is valuable. What, what he does on the court fits into Dwayne Casey's system because he shoots at the rim and he shoots from the three-point line. That's the way Dwayne Casey wants to play. For him to log 33 minutes, even if it's just a one-game sample, that is very important. That is very important because it shows that when guys go down, Langston Galloway is that next man up. Luke Kennard only played nineteen minutes. That's not I'm not okay with that. I think Luke Kennard should be playing more than nineteen minutes in a ball game. When when Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock are out and Glenn Robinson only plays twenty minutes, I think he should probably be playing a little bit more than that. Then you get Zach Lofton, who plays four minutes. And Bruce Brown, who somehow starts, which was, you know nothing I would ever think of. He plays 19 minutes. So the minute allocation once this team gets Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson back on Saturday, that's going to be really, really interesting. How much does Langston Gallo play? Is he going to play at all? Is he going to be a 15- to 20-minute guy? Or does he sneak back up into the high 20s, low 30s? Where does he fit? But I think he has value on this team. And it was great to see him out there in those three guard setch, sets with Jackson and Ish Smith. I thought those were intriguing, and I thought they worked. I think thought they worked a bit as well. Um, so I, I liked to see Galloway on the floor because Detroit's paying him seven million dollars a year, and obviously you want to play someone that you're paying that much money to. Cough, cough, John Luer. Um, so for him to be on the court and for him to be a valuable asset on the court. It's a surprising and beneficial uh, thing to note for the Pistons.
2: Aaron, it's the one thing you said. What does Langston Galloway do? He shoots at the rim, and he shoots the three. And that's what Dwayne Casey's looking for. And that's what you brought up, and that's why he played. He's experienced, he's a veteran, and Dwayne Casey early on is going to put his trust in him. That quick trigger is the three. He's going to play the way Dwayne Casey wants the team to play. And that's why Langston Galloway got in that game and played
1: so many minutes. It was 33 minutes again for Langston Galloway. We'll continue to see how much he plays, where he falls in that rotation, or a guy like Bruce Brown fits in the rotation um, after Reggie J or excuse me, Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson come back. Um, but we talked about it earlier. We are now at the time to address Andre Drummond. One for three from three-point land. The first game, 33%. Woo-woo. He has to take an average of two threes a game and uh, shoot lead clip. What do we say? Steak dinner for Aaron? I think that's what it was. And uh, I guess after game one, it's just one game, but Aaron's got to be feeling okay.
0: I, right, Aaron? I, I feel really good and I think it would have been it would have been 50% really? if, if he didn't well, have to take 1
1: for 3 and he feels really yeah,
0: good well, yeah, I feel really good because if Drummond didn't take that one 3 pointer at the end of the game he would have been 1 for 2 so that would have put him at 50% right? so that, that 3 is probably not going to happen that much anymore after a, a miscommunication and a misran play <laughs> like that uh, I feel really good about this Andre Drummond is hey man I'm going to take it I'm going to take it because when I look at the game that Andre Drummond had overall, he had 24 points, 20 rebounds, 2 assists, and a block. And it felt like he slept through the first 10 minutes of that ball game, right? It's, it just felt like he was, didn't have a care in the world. And one of his three-pointers came in that first 10 minutes as well. So when I look at the game Drummond had overall, for him to sleepwalk, honestly, just talking about Drummond's game in a whole for him to sleepwalk for, through the first 10 minutes of the game and to have the first 2020 of the season out of any player in the NBA they have 24 points, 20 rebounds, 2 assists, a block to make a three-pointer as well, just kind kind of display everything he can do and that three-pointer that he made just looked it looked like a different shot for him than the other two threes that he took. It was much smoother. He looked much more comfortable taking the shot, came off a pick and pop situation where he stepped back and knocked down the three. I'm just, I'm feeling really good about Andre Drummond right now. All
2: right. I feel good in general about Drummond's game, but you even said it with a laugh about the three pointers. They all looked a little rough. my guy, even Dwayne Casey was a little uncomfortable in the postgame presser talking about it. Sure, it can change throughout the season possibly, but my guy, him shooting the threes is not something I really am looking forward to.
0: The thing is, if he's only taking three a game, and again, that last one like really shouldn't have happened. Um, so if he's only taking two threes a game, like, can we live with that?
2: In general, I feel good about Drummond's game. I think for him sleepwalking his way through the first 10 minutes, like you said, like he didn't seem like he really had his head in the game, for him to go 20-20, I mean, I'm, that's fine. But his three-point shooting, I'm not super comfortable yet. And I can't believe that you're feeling that great. Even Dwayne Casey in the postgame pressure seemed a little uh, a little on edge about it. Didn't seem super comfortable. So for you to be super jacked about it, I I just I don't know, man.
0: I just think that for him taking three attempts, when it really only should have been two, and for him to make one...
1: But he took three. Hold on. That is what people do for Andre Drummond his whole career. It's the same thing you do for Reggie Jackson in the fourth quarter. Oh, get until five minutes left. And like four years ago, he was the best fourth quarter point guard out there. You got to stop making apologies for these guys, man. No more excuses.
0: That's not an excuse. What the... What the hell's going on? That's not an excuse, Brendan. I'm saying one three-pointer he should not have taken. One three-pointer he should not have taken because it wasn't the play design whatsoever. He got it at the end of the shot clock. He had to put the shot up at the end of the shot clock to avoid a shot clock violation. That is how he had to shoot the ball on a broken play. So that one doesn't matter, right? So he took two real three-point attempts.
1: The way you talk about it. It's like well Andre won't make decisions like that anymore. He's been making bad decisions. It's that and wasn't Andre's
0: it wasn't Andre's decision. He had to shoot the ball or it was an automatic turnover for the Pistons, Brendan. Like what are you going to do? I'm just saying that's ball. not going to happen another 81 times this season. He's not going to have the ball with a half a second left on the shot clock for at the top he of the key. Well he very well
1: played. Aaron, you're talking about thousands of possessions this season. You're telling
0: them that's not going to happen again? No, it's not going to happen 81 more times. I'm saying Drummond's more likely to take one or two three-pointers a game than having to take, I'm saying that that third three-point shot And I don't know how to – I feel like I've put this in pretty simple terms here. But I'm saying that last three-point shot he took at the end of the game, at the end of the shot clock, on a broken play, that is not going to happen that many more times this season.
1: Mike. Mike. Andre Drummond getting fed in the post and being responsible for having to make baby hooks before he could make a baby hook. Yeah, that happened a lot. Andre Drummond not having to take as many free throws late in games because they're tightening up on the uh, Hack and Drummond Hack and Shack rules. I didn't change too much. It, it's just, it just. What seems do you mean like it didn't change too much? He improved
0: his th- three point th- three, three free throw shooting by like twenty five percent.
1: Still nowhere near good
0: enough. Oh, get no. out of here with that. No. He's, he was a 60% free throw shooter last season. The guy averages 15 and 15, can distribute, block shots, get steals. And you're going to tell me that because he's not an 80% free throw shooter and rather than a 60% free throw shooter, his, that that is going to hold him back? Like, come on, dude. He does so many other things that for him to improve from being a 35% free throw shooter to a 60% free throw shooter, and you're going to attack him for that? Out of all the things you could attack, come on. You're better than that.
2: This was a lot of heat that I was not ready for, boys. I did not see this coming at all. That was some juice. I just it's good to see it though. I just want to make I'm glad sure this brought
1: out the fire. I just want to make sure that it's clear to the Palace of Pistons fans that Aaron does this with three pistons. Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and we all know Stanley Johnson. He makes excuses. Oh no, Aaron is an the apologies. Ultimate apologist. The ultimate. So I just wanted to put it out there that Aaron is the that ultimate just, apologist. It doesn't
0: make that doesn't that doesn't make any sense for Andre Drummond. That that makes no sense. I'm saying that one three pointer he took didn't matter because whoever Five took it wasn't making that three pointer. It was with half a second on the shot clock, all the way out behind the back behind the top of the key. So that they, it just doesn't matter, and you're like making it like I'm just saying Andre Drummond is some god at a three point shooting, and like he's just going to be hitting 50% from behind the arc for 82 games and whatever they play in the playoffs. Andre's that's just going to be this-, this top of the line three point shooter, and that is just not what I have said whatsoever. And I don't know how to get it through your skull that that's not what I'm saying.
1: Okay, well, Aaron. You made the comment how that third three pointer probably won't be taken any time you know in the rest of the season because he won't be in that position ever again, and you know the two thousand possessions plus the Pistons will have this year. Um, but I, I will leave with with two points. The first being that um, maybe not that exact situation will occur again. But you underestimate Andre Drummond's um, ambition, I think, to get three-point shot attempts up. And and maybe that exact situation won't occur again. But that third or a fourth three that's ill-advised or a bad shot or he has no chance of making will occur again. Um, And number two, my final point on this subject, Lee Clip so far, he's got a long way to go. But you're feeling really good, so I'm just gonna let you stay. That
0: you, way. I figured out what player you are. You're not Blake Griffin. You are Josh Smith because you're a cancer to this podcast.
2: Jesus Christ! Wow,
1: that is tough, and that's really tough. And Aaron and Aaron, honestly, might be like the Stan Van Gundy, just killing the locker room, just <laughs> grinding out on these guys. Nobody wants to podcast for them. Oh, uh, right. And, right. Uh, yeah, and then eventually Aaron will have four underwhelming seasons of podcasts, and uh, <laughs> we'll bring in the podcaster of the year. <laughs> and, boys, we now have to roundtable this one final discussion. The Pistons are back in action on Saturday versus the Chicago Bulls Uh, It's a night game, and the Pistons 1-0 trying to keep a record of undefeated, never lost, right? And um, now they're playing a youthful Bulls team that, for game number two, a little more experienced Pistons roster, should be able to get the job done. But Aaron, I'll start with you just kind of taking a look at maybe a positive and a negative from game one and how the Pistons have to spin that. Uh, in game number two, whether it's continuing the positive, building on that negative, um, and, and just give us maybe a quick little prediction or something you expect to see, a bold prediction, something that comes to mind regarding that Saturday affair with the Bulls.
0: From game one, I think the biggest or a positive that stood out to me was the depth that Detroit showed because Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson being out were not the plan for the team, especially Reggie Bullock. That was a pretty late scratch. Um and then Stanley Johnson. I think the thought was he would be back in time for the game, but the display of depth from Bruce Brown, from Langston Galloway, from Glenn Robinson the third, um, from Luke Kennard, it, it it's nice to see that if a couple players do go down, at least on the wing, Detroit can manage and salvage um, those two spots. So that was the positive. Uh, I think the negative for me with this game. Was that Detroit did not shoot the ball well, and I think that was because they struggled to get into their sets, uh, primarily in the first and fourth quarters. Um, so they got to be a little bit smoother with getting into sets. Whether it's Blake initiating the offense, whether it's Reggie initiating the offense, whether it's Ish initiating the offense, they got to do a better job of getting into their sets so they're not getting forced into shots at the end of the shot clock um, or shots that they, they they are. That's not the plan for them to take. Uh, for this Bulls game, the Bulls are going to score the basketball. You know, that's the team that they have in place. Zach Levine can score the ball. Jabari Parker can score the ball. Larry Markkinen can score the ball. He won't be playing. He's hurt. Um, but that's a team that has created to score. They really don't have many good defenders. They have Wendell Carter Jr. They have Robin Lopez. Um, Justin Holiday's is a decent defender. But outside of that, the, the, the Bulls... The only way that they're going to win is if they outscore you. So Detroit's going to have to come out, and they're going to have to commit to playing on the defensive end. Um, A key thing to watch, at least for me, is how does Blake Griffin play? Uh, In his matchup against the Nets, he played mainly against Jared Dudley, who's more of that tweener, 3-4. Against Chicago, he's going to be seeing Jabari Parker. He's going to be seeing Bobby Portis. He's going to be seeing Wendell Carter. Those are all bigger guys. Those are all power forwards. Um, So it'll be interesting to see... How Blake does going up against a bigger power forward um, because in game one it was his strength that helped him create so many scoring opportunities now where he's playing against bigger bigger guys is he going to be able to use his outside play and his quickness uh, as a benefit and be able to score the ball as effectively as he did in game two than he did as he did in game one
2: all right for me I'm going to look more at a negative um Outcome from the last game And the negative something you touched on a little bit For me, it's Luke Kennard only playing 19 minutes I need to see Luke Kennard play more I need to see him get more shots up I need to see more two-man game Which I texted with you two uh, Between him and Blake I think him and Blake can have some great chemistry Out to- there together on the floor um, I definitely need to see more of Luke Kennard More time, some more offense run for him He's a shooter, he's a scorer I need that, I understand Bullock And Stanley are going to come back so that's going to limit minutes for guys, but that can't limit minutes on Luke Kennard. We need to see him play. We need to see him be an integral part of the offense. Um, and then, Brendan, you were looking for a bold prediction. My bold, I guess it's not, it's not super bold, I guess. But, Aaron, you you discussed how you want to see how Blake handles it against bigger power forwards. How's this? Blake goes
0: 30-10-8. Oh, love it. Love to hear that.
2: Blake is gonna use his elusiveness, his outside game, and he is gonna handle those bigger forwards. I I know it. He's gone. He's coming. I, I've said I, so many times. He's coming, boys.
0: I love how much you 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 believe in Blake Griffin. It's I nice. Do. It's I, nice to have someone that does. I it do feels the same him. way. I
2: do believe he he's revolutionizing his game, so he fits in more with the modern day. Because he can't fly as high as he used to,
1: so he's had to change, and he's determined to do it, and he's going to. 30, 10, and 8 this game from Blake. Wow. Bold prediction there from Ryan, but maybe not so bold. I guess we'll have to see uh, on Saturday. But I'll tell you. He goes for 10, 5, and 5. <laughs> <laughs> but to look at a positive here, guys, you know, somebody that we've not mentioned today on the pod, uh, but deserves a little love is Zaza Pachulia. Um, showing up giving some valuable minutes off the bench we were definitely a little concerned of what we would get out of zaza as the backup five i thought that he gave some good minutes for detroit can be a viable backup center uh makes that signing maybe look a little bit better than the initial reaction was to it so uh to have some security there i think is big as well um to look at a plus uh i you know aaron i think you bring up a great point with the depth um you know, But I, I think the biggest plus for me is that Blake Griffin was undoubtedly the most assertive best player on the floor. And Ryan, you talk about your belief in Blake Griffin, but um, the biggest thing for me and some other Pistons fans that maybe are still a little um, you know, not fully at terms with that deal that they made to acquire Blake Griffin, uh, for him to come out and to be... Dominant to be the best player on the floor, uh, to go off for the kind of game he had and do it in such an efficient manner as well. That's a very positive sight to see. Um, So Blake being able to do that is huge for the Pistons. Reggie Jackson providing some good stability at the point guard spot as well was a big positive. But Saturday it's going to come down to the defensive front. And Aaron, you talk about the Bulls being a team that can score the ball. They're going to push the tempo, and they're going to try to control their pace. They're going to score in a high volume, uh, so the Pistons are going to have to find a way to stop that. That'll be their biggest challenge going into Saturday's game versus the Bulls. So it'll be interesting to see Saturday. We're so glad that the Pistons season is finally underway, and you could join us here on the Palace of Pistons podcast. A reminder, follow our website, palaceofpistons.com. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Get the word out there. You can follow us on Twitter: Aaron Johnson at a Johnson NBA, Ryan Pay at Ryan Pay. That's P A Y E. You can follow myself at Media Brendan. Um, follow at Palace of Pistons on Twitter. At Palace Pistons on Instagram as well. So hit us up on social media. Follow the website. Uh, like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. And the piston season is officially here, folks. We're looking forward to it. We'll see you next time on episode 36 of the Palace of Pistons podcast.